to prepare for Shabbos Kodesh. So thank you so, so much. I'm going to share my screen. Let's jump right into it. I hope you guys had an amazing, amazing week. And um, I'm also going to record. And it's been a while since we did one of these, so it's really special. It's really, really special. I know that it's been missing for me personally. And looking very, very much forward to beginning again. Okay, so I'm sharing my screen. Let's jump into it. And here we have Parshas Achremos, the inner dimension, teachings from the Hasidic masters, the Tzadikim, to get us ready for the inner spirit of this Shabbos and the different lessons that we're supposed to take out from the parsha, not simply to learn the laws, although of course we absolutely have to focus on what the parsha means, on a basic, simple level, but much, much deeper to be able to understand how some of the psukim that seem to have no relevance to us, like we say all the time, are actually deeply, deeply relevant in transmitting some of the deepest, most incredible messages to us, Dafka, today. I'm just going to plug in my computer. Give me one second. All right, so now we're all plugged in. Let's begin Mesiyat HaDashmaya. So the Divri Cheskel of Shin of the Heilige Tzaddik goes on this Pasuk, V'samach Aaron Eshtei Yadav. The beginning of Parshas HaKrimois is speaking, of course, about Yom Kippur. The Avod of Yom Kippur, the whole Masechus Yuma, basically, is coming out from the beginning of this week's Parsha, where we speak about the different Seder of Avodah, of what the Kohen Gadol is doing, in this incredible, incredible lofty day when all of our sins are wiped away and all of our transgressions are removed. And the Eilig Adibri Cheskel says that Aaron HaKoyin and all the Kehanim Gedolim in subsequent generations would put their hands, called Smicha, on top of this Sa'ir HaChai, this living Sa'ir, and would do vidui on it, as kol has been Israel, to speak out and articulate all of the transgressions and the sins of Bnei Yisrael, as kol and all of their willful sins, l'chol chatoisam, and all of their, on a little bit of a lower level, kol chatoisam, we're going to see that the Debrei Cheskel says, this is talking about shogig. A chet is a lesser level than pesha. Pesha is a, is a lesser level than avon. Avon is the highest level of sin, a rebellious transgression. Pesha is where a person knows what he's doing and, uh, and it's a willful sin. And then a chet is, is the lowest, is the least severe of the transgressions. The kasha, so based on this, the Debri Cheskel asks a question. Do ha seder ha vidui, ordinarily the seder of vidui should be the opposite. It's chet, it's avon, and then it's pesha. It's very much in the way of the opposite Mahalik, where first we start with Chet, and we speak about the, um, the Shogeg, the, 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 the unintentional uh, transgressions, then we speak about the Avon, and then we speak about the Pesha. As it's broken, the Isa and the Gemara Yuma articulates and defines those three categories. And he says a second question, What is this Lashon of Lichol What does that even mean? Let's read the Pasuk together. Aaron takes his two hands and he relies, he leans on the Sa'ir Hachai, on the living goat. And he does vidoy. All of the sins of an Israel he speaks out. And he goes through. The Pasuk goes through them. That's called I'm sorry, that's called Avoynus Ben Israel. That's the highest level, the most severe level. Then, as called Pesheim. And then, Lechol Chatoisam. What's Lechol? It should say, What should it have said? It should have followed that Mahalich. It should have followed that pattern. S. 
Pesha, S, uh, or S Avon, right? S Kol Avon, Ben Israel, S Kol Pesheim, and then it should have said, S Kol Chatoisa. What does this mean? Lichol Chatoisa. Says the Eligat Sadik, listen to this, an amazing, amazing thing. And this one, you know, it's a little bit of cushion for the second piece we're going to learn. For the Meashilach, is a little bit sharper, certainly sharper than what we're usually teaching, but I think it's important. You know, this week I actually wrote on Facebook and I posted it on the website, I wrote about balance, right? I wrote about R and Kalim, about bringing those two things together. So very much in the spirit of that, we're going to learn a little bit of a sharp teaching from the Meashilach, but I think it's important because we want the Emes, we don't just want to feel good, right? We want the truth. The truth makes us feel better than we would feel if we just tried to live in a way that would make us feel good. That's, ultimately, it's not lasting. We want the emes. And the Torah is, is chesed and gvura. The Torah is tiferes. It's a mix of both. So first we have this sweet piece. This is mamish in the way of chesed. And it's a little bit of a tikkun. You know, the Dibri Cheskel, historically, his personality, we've spoken about this, was very sharp was very, very strict. He was known as being very strict. His father, the Dibri Chaim of Sanz, was a little bit more in the way of Chesed, and the Dibri Cheskel always had machlekes with his father, because his father was always paskening a little bit lakula, and the Shinver was super machmir. And the Meashiloach, ordinarily, is very, very, you know, always full of stress to Hashem's love, and so on and so forth, as he does in the piece we're going to learn, with a little bit of a caveat, but over here it's a tikkun for both. We have a little bit of Chesed from the, uh, from the Dibri Cheskel, and a little bit of Gvur from the Meashiloach. So the Sadik says like this, Okay, so he heard it from his father, the Seder, but he's quoting it. Something so powerful. And I've been asked this question a lot of times, and I'm sure all of us are asking this question all the time. It's a difficulty. How does it happen that a Jew sins? How does that happen? Those are the chevra on the call that have taken the course with us. We know, right? The first principle, at our core we are holy. We're coming from the Kisya Kavod. And the Zohar Kaddish says, Based on the Pasuk, a soul, a nefesh, a member of Am Yisrael, when it will sin bishgaga, unintentionally. And the Zohar Kaddish tells us that what's this Pasuk? Not just simply when a soul will sin unintentionally. What carbon does that have to bring? It's more than that. is So it's in wonderment. How is such a thing possible? I'm sorry. That the Torah is in wonderment. How is it possible? It's a question. Nefesh ki sechta? That you could have a holy Jewish soul that comes from the kisya covered from the loftiest, most elevated point in creation, and it could be brought to such a low thing? How could that be? How does that happen? But the Zohar Kaddish says the very next word in the Torah is actually the answer to the question represented by the first three words. What's the answer? Says the Zohar, It's because one time a person sinned unintentionally. One time something came over a person and a person didn't know what he was getting himself into and before he knew it he was dragged along and he couldn't stop. But even beyond that, one time a person was over a shogig, complete and entirely bishogig. He didn't even know it was an Avera Bechlau. 
And he never did tshuva for this because, again, it was a shogig. And he didn't even realize that he didn't learn afterwards that it wasn't proper. He just did it, didn't know. And from that first shogig, completely unintentional, on a very, very certainly, you know, a very high level, not even his fault. Okay, we, we have to do tshuva for a shogig. But on a certain level, unintentional, certainly not rebellious, certainly not malicious. That led to amazement. Once there was a little bit of hate that was entrenched in this person's existence. Listen to this one. The Rebbe Elimelech, the Rebbe of Melech, the Noam Elimelech. He said, the Dibri Chaim said about the Tzaddik, the Noam Elimelech, that the Noam Elimelech did tshuva actively, consciously, for the very, very first sin that the Noam Elimelech did. You can imagine what that means, the Noam Elimelech, the first sin, probably the last, but the first sin that the Noam Elimelech does. Is that when he was nursing from his mother, he was banging with his fists and he hit his mother a little bit. That while they're nursing, so their hands are moving around. And the Rebbe of Mailach, when he grew up, he did tshuva on this, that in a certain way, he hit his mother at the end of the day. Didn't know what he was doing. He was an infant, a tinok. Okay, the Noam al as an infant, probably knows more than most adults in a Hanami. But still, on the level of total, total shogig, like not even close. And he did tshuva on this. This saraf yadav. I don't know if this means intentionally. I highly doubt that the Noam al went and actually burnt his hands as a kapara. But maybe one time it happened that the Noam al burnt his hands a little bit. And he said that that's, that, that was the tikkun. That the Noam was very careful to do tshuva on this first sin. And I think it's deeper than just saying like, oh my gosh, you know, he was such a tzaddik that he did, you know, tshuva for everything that he remembered. And even he did tshuva on this. I think based on the context of what we're explaining, it's deeper than that. It wasn't simply that the Noam al did tshuva on all chatayim, including the very first. It's specifically the first. Because in a certain way, based on what we're understanding, that the Zohar Kaddish says, ki How could it be that a Jew comes to such a thing called a chayt? Ah, because it's all a hishtalshulus, it's all a continuation from the very first time. So in a certain way, it's the most important of all the other tshuvas that we have to do is to try to rack our brain. What could possibly, you know, what, what could have started this whole chain? What action could it have possibly been that, that, that brought the concept of chayt into our existence, into our being, which is be'etzem, distant, distant, completely and entirely distant from chayt. And he says, that's what Davra Melech Shalom asks and requests. Please don't remember the chayt, again, the shogeg, and even pshai, and even the sins of my youth, al-tizkar. In accordance with your great kindness, remember me now. Or remember me, you should remember me in accordance with your great goodness. Again, we have a question. 
The Bethila Amar Chatas Nu'urai Pshai Al Tizkar. First it says, don't remember those Chatayim, those Pshayim of my youth. In accordance with your kindness, remember me. He doesn't say, what, what should you remember? What's the Ishtalshalis of the Pasuk? So there's a subject. What shouldn't he remember? Well, he shouldn't remember the Chait and the Pesha of my youth. So then, so then what, what is he remembering now? Doesn't, it doesn't specify. So listen to this answer. He says again, It's those unintentional and even sometimes intentional sins. But we have to define what's intentional. What does a child know? What does a teenager know? And today, even some, what, what do some adults know? We have to define what it means intentional. What it means rebellious. If it's outside the context of any understanding of what an Avera is, what a mitzvah is, what Yiddishkeit is, what Hashem is, what, what our mission is, and so on and so forth, so how educated you know, can we consider a person that he sinned willfully? Uh, what willfully? He doesn't know, what, you know what's going on. And that, and that in a certain way, of course, Chazal tells us in the Gemara and Sota, that Einadam over Avera, Elam ke nichnas by Ruach Shtus. All of us, on whatever level that we're on, with whatever level of knowledge we have, the moment before a sin, there's a Ruach Shtus, there's a spirit of fact, that enters us. Rabbi Nachman defines that spirit of folly in the poem, the beautiful poem with which the Kutumran begins. It's called Shir Na'im. It's one of the only poems that we have from Rabbi Nachman. A beautiful, beautiful poem. And over there, Rabbi Nachman says, you know what the Shtus is? You know what the Ruch Shtus is? Is that the Yetzirah convinces us that we're somehow subjugated to this seduction that he's trying to draw us into. And Rabbi Nachman famously gives a mashal over there. He says, al kapil. Don't be like the tremendous, enormous elephant that allows itself to be perturbed and to be affected by the mice that are running around its feet. And it feels as if it has to move out of the way because there's a mouse coming. And Rabbi Nachman says it's because it doesn't know its great strength. The elephant doesn't understand. It never looked in the mirror. It doesn't, it doesn't perceive the fact that it is so enormous that it, it's just below its dignity to care about what a little mouse is doing. Rabbi Nachman says that's the same thing with us. We don't know our abilities. We don't know how big we are. It's like the Yitzhahar is like a little fly. Well, Chazal say that it's like a fly for other reasons. But it's also it's like a little fly. You shoo him away. But we don't know who we are. And so we sin intentionally, unintentionally. But there's a rush to us. So he says, Even the pshayim, even the willful sins, are done belidas. Children get into a habitual cycle of sin, and oftentimes, not even oftentimes, 99.99999% of the time, it's not their fault. They don't know what's, what's going on. Therefore, David HaMalach says, Chatas Look back into my youth, all of those things, the first time, the first time that I, A, B, C, or D, right? Fill in the blank, whatever we're struggling with in our adult life, it's all a shtalshalist from that. So we're saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, don't remember those times. Klau. I promise you, it was done in a total state of ignorance of you. 
and of how much you love me, and of how much Torah, and Yiddishkeit, and Halacha, and Agada, and every aspect of our tradition is to give me the best life in the world, and not some sort of restrictive mashkiach who's, you know, out to get me. It's because I, I Pasha didn't know what the Torah was, for one reason or another. I'm not going to get into that now, but I didn't know what that was. So it was Beloy Das. They should not be part of your cheshben at all. But because you're so kind and because you only want the best for me. So he says, a basic understanding of the Pasuk is Get those out of the way. I don't want to think about them. I don't want them to come into your cheshmet at all. In your great mercy, remember me. Remember me for what? Specify. So we'd say, remember me as I am now, with Das, that I'm doing tshuva. Maybe that's Pashup Shat. But he says an amazing thing. He says, don't remember the sins themselves. But in your great kindness, you know what I need you to remember? I need you to remember those very sins. Not so that they should become a part of your calculation, to fault me, but on the contrary. That the state of a lack of das that I was in, in that place, when I transgressed those first thresholds and that first line I crossed between Kedusha and Tuma, I need you to remember the state of a complete lack of consciousness that I was in at that moment. I need you to remember that so that can become part of your cheshben, not Lara, but Latov. That, that should become a part of my defense those first times. Tizkar hachatas nu'urim shali. Remember those sins. Because you're going to do me a big favor when you remember them. Not the sin itself, but the context. How innocent I was. How I was drawn after something I didn't know what this was or where it would lead, certainly. It was with the das of a katan. And it's with such kindness that a Kaddish Baruch who created the world in such a way that we come out first in a certain way without Bechira, right? In a certain way. Because we get the Yetzir Tov only at age 13. So what kind of Bechira is that? That we only have a Yetzir It's like, how can you choose Bechlal? And even up until age 20, in a certain way, on the day of the Chuppah, it's all wiped away. Nachayv in Einshim. In a certain way, Hashem made it so that any root of actual rebellion that comes later on, which of course is predicated on a Ruach Shtus that happens in the moment, but theologically, philosophically, they are all going to be the necessary effects of something that happened long in the past where Mimela, we built a foundation of not your fault, not your fault, not your fault. This is not what you wanted. For the purpose of allowing there to be the concept, like Chazal tell us, that tshuva is kadmala oilam. Tshuva needs to precede the world so that I can, in doing tshuva, tap into a point that goes beyond all of this. What a kindness that Hashem made it that we should develop in such a way. That we're not born adults, 
straight with Bechira, so that we would have no limut schus on ourselves. We would have nothing to stand up on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, come in, and not just Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, any time of any day, his spodidus, you go out to the field for 20 minutes, a half hour a day, an hour a day, and you scream out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what's your defense? Here the Debrei Cheskel of Shinnim is providing us with such a clear, lucid defense, but it's not him that's providing it to us, it's Hashem himself. That Hashem makes the system in such a way that we should always be able to have something to fall back on. Because Chazal tell us that one sin draws the next sin. Nimsa. So we find that it emerges that all of my sins, certainly the Shogeg, but, but even the Mezid, they're not rooted in a, in, a, in a place of rebellion, of hatred toward the Torah, of active decision to turn away from Hashem. They're rooted in an old cycle of habit that is rooted ultimately in a place where it was beyond my capacity to really grasp the full implication of the very first step that I took that ultimately led me to such a darkness. And therefore, Meharoi should take a lili alai ha'oinish. Therefore, Rabbanu Shalom, it's only fear that you're going to remove the punishment from me, make it much lighter. All of the averis that I did subsequent to that. Because ultimately, like we said, it's rooted in this place of. Wasn't, it wasn't really my fault. It's not really what I wanted. Because I, in that moment, didn't know what I want and what I don't want. And I didn't know the implication of what this action was. And this is Pshad in the Pasuk. That the Kohen Gadlangim Kippur, who needs to be Malamut Tzchus on every single member of Am Yisrael in the deepest, most glorious way. We know that the Kohen is associated with Chesed, Levi is associated with Gevura, and Am Yisrael, Yisrael is associated with Tiferes. Yisrael, Ashebecha Espoer. But the Kohen is, is, is the biggest Baal Chesed. Oiv Shalom, of Shalom. You know what the deepest expression of the Kohen Gadol's Chesed is on Yom Kippur? This Pasuk. The Kohen Gadol would put his hands on this goat. And he would go ahead and he would be Misvada. All the Chatoim. Not to pretend that the Chatoim don't exist. They do. Avoinus, very severe sins. Pshatim, lesser severe sins, but mazed. And then, listen to this. Bishvil, lichol chatoisam. And he would tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu, be honest, Rebbeinu Shalom Kol Yachol, master of the world, that you know everything. That all there is, is your knowledge. That your knowledge permeates every facet of every, every, every particle of existence. And that nobody could take an action without you having already been there first, supporting him, standing there at that time, filling him, experiencing it with him. Rebbeinu Shalom, you know that es avoynes b'nei Yisrael, the es kol p'sheyen, it was all b'shvil l'chol It was only an effect of the chait of the shogig. Shenichshulu b'shogig va'avera gerer savera. And that is the so the foundation of Yom Kippur, of how the Kohen Gadol is able to achieve mechila for us. It's with this argument. It's a very powerful thing. And once we're made known of what this, or how powerful this argument is, why shouldn't we use it as well? 
Of course, there's a time for brokenheartedness. There's a time for accepting responsibility. There's a time to go ahead and to, uh, and to honestly assess our, our lives and to say, okay, listen, there's room for improvement for sure. But there also comes a moment in time where a Jew needs to rely on something, hold on to something. When a Jew is being carried away by the streams, Rishon Kiyom Nigrash, that violent, violent rapid of, 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 of impurity and of, and of yeosh, of hopelessness, and we're grasping for something to hold on to, this is a very powerful thing to hold on to in that moment. To realize that whatever circumstance I'm in now, and whatever's happening in my life, and whatever place I fall into, where did it start? Is this the real me? Is this really what I want? We speak about so often, which one of us wouldn't in a moment give up the Yitzhahara? In a moment. If we knew that it was okay, and we knew that whatever the Yitzhahara is, is, you know, is, is there for in a positive sense, we would get anyway. Who wants it? Who needs it? We despise it. It's not the real me. That's not the real you. That's not the real us. That's not the real we. That's a big limon schus. Not only so that from Hashem's perspective, the Avera should be considered a little bit less and the punishment should be less, but for ourselves, the onesh that we give ourselves, that Reb Tzadik HaKoyim, so many of the tzaddikim based on the Gemara and Brachas and other places, says that the Gehenim of an Avera is the guilt that we feel afterwards. That is the Gehenim. So if in a certain way, David HaMelech is asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please lessen the severity of the sin so that the punishment should be less, well, if in our own experience, the onish of a sin is the guilt and the shame and the way that we beat ourselves up and the way that we give up hope, so maybe this can also alleviate some of that. To go into it with context. In the context of the lost princess, the story of our lives and the course, it's called Heichan Ani Ba'olam. That the viceroy who falls asleep into such a deep slumber, into a place of spiritual numbness and closed-mindedness and a, and a heart that's completely sealed. And he wakes up from this place and he screams out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And on one level, it seems as if he's beating himself up. Like, where in the world am I? What happened to me? But the tzaddikim say, the breast of Ramashpiyim say, look at the words. He doesn't say, who have I become? Mi ani, ma ani. He says, Heichan ani ba'olam. Where has the I, the essentially pure, holy, good, desiring kirvas alukimli tov, that all I want is to be good on every level? I just want to be good. We want to be good at the root. So how did that ani, that's still preserved, that's still pure, that's still there, that nothing in the world could affect it, essentially, where did it, where did it end up? Where did that go? Where did that go? So this is it. That's very important. To be able to go ahead and to lessen the avon, so to speak, to be able to go ahead and to lessen this experience of darkness and of brokenness when we feel as if we've become synonymous or identified with our mistakes and our failures spiritually, as well. 
But this is such a kapara. To be able to remember, well, where did it all begin? And when we're able to trace it back, all the way back, all the way back, not only do we remember the circumstances in which the first sin took place, but we're able to understand who were we at that moment. What did that mean that we took this action without das? And when we understand the essential holiness of youth, which is also part of the lost princess, right? That's the princess of youth that gets lost. But once we understand that we were once that, and we can see how that mistake in that consciousness led to all of this, then we're able once more to identify ourselves with that, even now. That we're grown-up versions of that. And that under all of that, after all of that, under all of that frigid icicles of the path, and all the brokenness that we experience along the way, that little holiness is still there, that purity. And so that's a wonderful way of being mechaper, not just in our conversation with Hashem to be melam but bein alabein atzmo, a way of being mekel, a little bit, a way of lessening and lightening the load that we carry of our averis, that weigh us down so heavily, to be able to give ourselves the gift of a new beginning and an opportunity to really change and to really move on, to really move on and to grow. So now with that foundation, which of course is the foundation of chesed, somei Hashem, we first need to create the samach, and then the chalanoflim, we could speak a little bit about nefila. So here we jump into this piece from Me'ashiloach, from the Helege Ishbitzer, it's a very, very important piece. Maybe one of the most important pieces, but it's a very, very important piece. And the Helege Tzadik says like this, Parshas Kedoshim speaks about so many things, but one of the things Parshas Kedoshim speaks about is the scenario of different impure and improper relationships. One of those relationships, one of those arayas, the Pasuk tells us, a man who will marry his sister, it's a kindness, it's a chesed. Obviously in a very negative sense. It's the impurity of chesed in the sense that it's his spashtus yotermidai. It's no limits, no boundaries. And such a thing could lead to a tremendous kilkel, which is why Avram Avinu, we've spoken about in the past, has Yishmael. And Yitzchak, which is Gvura, has Esav. But both, both of these extremes are going to necessarily produce a little bit of a, of a kilkel, of a pagan. So over here, we're using the word chesed, but of course, it's a, it's a negative thing. Kain was born with his twin, a twin sister. And Hevel, his first two brothers, Hevel was born with his twin as well, a twin sister. Because otherwise, where did creation come from? Right? And the standard of Adam and Chava, and they have children, so I'm saying they're the first family. They weren't family, they were really created one from the other, Ishvi Isha. But they married each other, that was the first couple, then they had children. So how were their grandchildren if all there was was their family? Sechazal, Cain and Hevel were born with sisters. Amalar Bishmal, Bishmal said, How could that be? 
It's forbidden to marry your sister. How could that be that that was the relationship from which all of Adam Rishon's grandchildren and then great-grandchildren and then it was cousins already and then so on and so forth? How could that be? It's usr. It's, for, it's forbidden. It's prohibited. And the answer is given in Pirkei the Revelation. The Pasuk says, Ki amarti oilam chesed that the world was created with kindness. So on a certain level, of course, it means that the foundation for the world is kindness. The reason why Hashem created the world is to give us good things. And there's so much good in life. It's so much easier to complain and to focus on the bad. The bad is all over the place. But, there, but, but the truth is, is that sometimes it blocks our vision. It depends how close we're holding it to our eye. But if we're not looking so closely, then it's, it's so much clearer that there's so much more good. The world is filled with goodness and kindness and sweetness and holiness. So that's on one level, on a simple level. What does it mean Hashem created the world with chesed? But based on this is a much deeper meaning. What does it mean olam chesed yibaneh? It means the same chesed from this pasuk. That the world was created in the way of chesed as in the context of the pasuk. V'ish asher yika chesachoso chesedu. That's the olam chesed yibaneh. To let us know how did humanity descend? From where? And the answer is chesed. Olam chesed yibaneh. From this strange circumstance of Hevel being ultimately married with his sister. And Cain being ultimately married with his sister. And from their children, olam chesed yibaneh. The world was created from chesed. The chesed nivra olam nitna Torah. That the Torah before it was given Ultimately, the episodes all the way leading up to Parshas Yisrael had this circumstance of brothers marrying sisters before it was ultimately, trans- uh, ultimately recorded as a transgression in the Torah. Olam chesed yibane. The world was built up. Derech Eretz Kadm Torah. The building up of the world. And then the Torah was given after which it became prohibited. What does this mean to you and me today? Says the Tzaddik, an amazing thing. What a privilege to learn this with you. Thank you for joining. Ki amarti said, Oilam chesed Or v'zea inyan, rather z'a inyan. Moiralanu, it's teaching us. Shelo yoimara adam. A person should never say. Well, me'achar sha'ashem izbarach o'evosi. After Hashem loves me, b'sharshi, at my core, and in the context of the first piece also, that I'm able to track everything back, that no matter what I do, ultimately is rooted in that place of shogeg, and, and, and even beyond shogeg, it was belay das. And Hashem loves me, which is true. Uchalasis kechepetz libi. So I can do whatever I want. If I don't have to earn His love, so then why should I engage in any activity that makes it seem as if our love is conditional when it's totally not? If I'm trying to earn Hashem's love, enter into a relationship with Him, maintain a relationship with Him. So He loves me unconditionally. So why can't I just sit and live my life without all of this intense guidelines and halachas and restrictions and what I can do, what I can't do? Hashem loves me. Uchalas is libi. Or again, in the context of the first piece, that a person should say, so any activity that I take, any action that I do, any sin, that a person is over, even bemazed as an adult, ultimately on some level it'll, it'll be rooted back into the shogig of the youth. So what does it matter? Says the, 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 the Meashiloach, 
He says, I want to let you know that this love between Hashem and Am Yisrael, who dugmas avas ach achos, he says it's, con- it's connected to the love between a brother and sister. Hamushroshim ba'ava hatolada belihishtadlusam. Ba'avas hatolada belihishtadlusam. What's the love between a brother and a sister? It's essential. They don't have to do things to earn each other's love, and they may quarrel, and they may fight sometimes for many years. There should be shalom in the world. But ultimately, that love, it's an essential love. A brother and a sister don't need to explain to somebody else why they love each other. It's it's, it's an unconditional, built-in to the DNA of this relationship, brother, sister. No matter what they do to one another, it's an unconditional relationship, much like a parent and a child in the same sense. No matter how many times a father throws the kid out of the house, or Achman al-Tzlan should never happen, he's the father and this is his son, no matter what. There's nothing you can do about it. And he says, that's the love between HaKadosh Baruch and Am Yisrael. Dugmas ach v'achos, like a brother and a sister. It's an essential love. We're a part of him. There's nothing we can do to sever that. No matter how many times he proverbially throws us out of the house, there's no such thing. He's our father, and we're his child. He's our melech, and we're his evid. He's our source, and we're a little bit of a spark of that torch. But that's our root, that's our source. Hashem Yisbarach Uroit says, so he says it's very sweet and it's very true. It's very, very true. But at the same time, Hashem writes, Hashem wants that even though there is that unconditional love, he wants Hashem wants that we should build on that foundation. In Hanami, there's a floor that's immovable. And that floor is unconditional relationship with Hashem. It's always there, no matter what. And no matter how, from how high you'll fall, you'll fall onto that floor. There's nowhere else to go. says, when I sink down into hell, But let that floor, says the Meashilach, let that floor do nothing to negate the fact that there's also a ceiling to this structure. That there's also a ceiling of a vision of what Avodah Hashem can become from our perspective, where we need to constantly be striving upward, onward, to make it such that our relationship and love with Hashem is not simply, simply, even though it's so deep, but it's not simply the floor of an essential relationship. What can we do? We're stuck. He's our brother. We're his sister. So he's my father, I'm his son. Yes, I'm his son, I'm his child. But, I, but really, in a certain level, it's like I can't stand that fact. Chas a person should say such a thing. So Hashem wants that we should deepen that bond. We should build on that structure. We should build on that foundation, rather. And we should strive to reach the ceiling, to put something in place that, yes, it's true, it'll be there, no matter what. And it's there for you to fall into if we should fall. But let that not negate the ceiling. Two things can be true at once. They can. That's what's called broad-mindedness, nuanced thinking. 
Let's read that again. Vashem is Barach Roitz Hashem wants. Sha Adam Al Yidehishtab Lusai Upu Loisav Yehevenu Hashem is Barach. Hashem will love us no matter what. It's true. But part of this love is that Hashem says to us, can you go ahead and deepen that by doing things to increase the love? A brother and a sister could love each other. But the brother and the sister would also like that each of the others should buy a gift for the other's birthday or write a birthday card or do favors for them. Not because if they don't, then the relationship is severed. It can't be severed. But because that's the expression of the essential relationship between brother and sister is that that's the way things are supposed to be. And that these activities and this exchange and this dialogue, an active dialogue that they work on, doesn't produce a fake love that is built now that covers over the unconditional love and now there's a conditional love. It's not. It only enhances clarifies, magnifies the essential love and draws it out into all of those activities. This is very deep. Yes, Hashem loves us unconditionally. But the way in which that unconditional love is able to be felt in the deepest, utmost way is through the conditions. It's a little counterintuitive. It's specifically the conditions on both sides, Hashem also is acting toward us with incredible kindness. She doesn't have to, to preserve the essential relationship. But it's specifically when I'm willing to conform, when I'm willing to go ahead and to modify my behavior, when we're willing to go ahead and make sacrifices for Abedus Hashem, when the going gets tough, even when we don't want to. Don't slip into the mistake of thinking that a Jew who lives in such a way, beautiful, so instead he's leaving his unconditional relationship and he's choosing to make that his whole Yiddishkeit should be a conditional relationship. It's like, I'd rather leave that part out. I just want to focus on the unconditional part. It's not true. It's one thing. It's when we have the foundation of unconditional love that then when we go ahead and we involve ourselves in the union of the conditions of Judaism, it draws it all up out of this ocean of unconditional love and it makes it so powerful. It makes it so much deeper. It brings it out. It doesn't cheapen it. It makes it so much more powerful. The im taimar. So if a person is going to say, I didn't want this. God created the world in His kindness. It's unconditional. I didn't choose to be born. I didn't do anything to cause Hashem, so to speak, to bring me into existence, to give me the Torah. It just was. This is what He wants. And therefore, again, it's unconditional. Remember your mercy and your kindness. Look at the beginning of the world that God created the world with chesed. And therefore, where is there room for me to now step in and to start going ahead and, and, and making my relationship with God a conditional relationship with God? Says the Heilig Tzadik, God is going to choose us. That's his business. That's his perspective. And it's true. 
And we need that again for chizik purposes, a fall to fall down onto that's filled with cushions to tell us that nothing we do could sever that relationship. It's true. But then there's our perspective too. There's our perspective from which HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks us to not simply have a relationship with Him because it's forced on us, but so that we should bring ourselves into the active passion of a conscious decision to choose to love Him. You see how these two pieces are connected in such a deep way? In the first piece, we spoke about in the way of sin, that all further future sins, in a certain way, even the mazid, even the conscious sins, can be reframed by rooting them back to the source to say, oh, don't worry. In a certain way, they were all rooted in the first shogeg, if we do tshuva for the first one, that's what the other tzaddikim and sichasran and kedusha slavi call maver rishon rishon. If you remove the first sin, all the other sins are going to fall away because they were all taloi on the first avera that caused the whole chain of avera In this piece, we're speaking about something very similar. But over here, we're supposed to do the opposite. Over here too, a person later on in life or later on in history, when we are born, in contrast to the beginning of the world, if we are going to go ahead and root all of our current experience of Yiddishkeit in the Olam Chesig that's the biggest kilkel. And in a certain way, it's so deep, because it's the kilkel that's the extreme of taking the first piece that we learned from the Dever Cheskel and using it inappropriately. It's the same kilkel. To say, God loves me no matter what. I can root it back either into my having been without Das, I didn't really choose this, it happened to me, it was a shogay. Or we can root it in the past in a different way to say, well, God was the one who created the world without, any, without asking anything from me, without consulting with me. I'm born into the world, there's a world that's created without any of my conditional behavior. Memela, he loves me no matter what. That could cause a big kilkel, a big pgam. Because then a person can be led to think, so I can do whatever I want. And that God isn't really serious about all of these mitzvos and halachas. Doesn't really care. Doesn't really matter. And that's a tremendous mistake. Because we do ourselves a disservice in thinking that such an attitude is going to aid in my relationship with God. Because we think that we don't want to take away. We think, well, how deep would it be if that was our relationship, unconditional? And that came to expression in me doing whatever I please and still believing all the time that Hashem is with me. What kind of tikkun that would bring? But that's all a dimmun. Because in a certain way, we don't realize that it's the exact opposite. It's specifically when I build a relationship with Hashem based on condition, based on sacrifice, even when it's hard, even when it's not easy. And I don't allow the unconditional relationship and that, that aspect of the relationship to get in the way of ruining a healthy forward trajectory and upward movement. Then it deepens that unconditional love. That was just in the beginning of the creation, like we said, that the world was created where there was no laws and it made no difference that a person married his sister because it makes no difference. Everything's unconditional. There was no, there was no Torah yet in the world. But he says, after the creation of the world, that he wants us to become choosable. 
He chose us. He's choosing us every moment. He wants us no matter what. But the more that we make ourselves choosable from our perspective, the deeper his choosing is. So again, he's choosing us every moment, no matter what. It's unconditional. That's the floor to which any Jew, whenever we fall, we fall into that. And that's the chizik to be able to stand back up, to say, I haven't lost everything. I can stand back up and I continue. I continue going. But the deepest, deepest expression of that chosenness comes specifically in relation to how much we are doing to make ourselves choosable. And the more that we build vessels in that way in our own lives to try our best to follow the Torah, to try our best to strive toward that ceiling of growth and not to stay in that mindset of God loves me, everything's good, everything's fine. It's cheap. It's so cheap. It's so easy. It's not what he wants. The more that we're going through the motions and going, not just going through the motions, but, uh, motions, but the more that we're trying to align ourselves with the ideal vision of what, what a Jew could be with all the difficulty and the struggle and the sacrifice that that takes, the deeper Hashem is choosing us unconditionally. It's always unconditional. But the more that we are going ahead and living within conditions, the deeper that unconditional bond grows. It's a counterintuitive thing. It's a very, very deep thing. And this is what the Gemara in Chagiga tells us. In If the Yitzhahara comes to you and says, Sin, and Hashem will just forgive you. Don't believe Him. In that moment, there's no makom for believing. To use the Divri uh, you know, the, the beautiful limus to actively go ahead and then take that and then act as we please because ultimately I can root it back in some time where the first Avera was without consciousness and, 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 and was, not, was Bishogig and so everything's okay. Al Yoimar. That's not what the Divri Cheskel revealed that lesson for. It's only for purposes of Chizuk. And it's the same thing with all the Torahs that we're learning from the Tzadikim. We need a lot of Chizuk today. What can you do? So we need a lot of Chasidahs. But we have to always remember that's only for one phase. Not to live in that consciousness because then life loses all meaning. And we think it's a good thing. We think, well, I don't want to cheapen the unconditional relationship. But we don't understand that it's not just not cheapening. It's broadening in the deepest way. The more we make ourselves choosable by living in accordance with the Torah, the more HaKadosh Baruch Hu is unconditionally choosing us. So don't listen to that Yitzhahara. Al-Zekasav Olam that ultimately it's a chesed, but what's the end of the Pasuk? Such a person gets kares for such a thing. Ultimately, if a person is not doing his best to earn it, then at least from his perspective, it's as if the love is not there. Even though, of course, it's there. But Hashem will sort of remove it so that a person can go through whatever tikkun process he needs to go through for the purpose of Bechir, that we be- believe in schar and onish. And none of this does away with the essential fact of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's unconditional love for us. It's a very deep thing. It's a very nuanced thing. We have to have a, a lot all the time we speak about the balance that's necessary here is incredibly great. And Hashem will demonstrate to everybody that he's far from Hashem. Now again, is Hashem far from him? It's no such thing. There's no place from which God is far or distant. But from the person's perspective, something's off. Something's missing. 
So this chaver, this is the balance. We're going into Shabbos now. Thank you all for joining. Thank you for sitting. I know it's a long time. It's hard. It's the middle of the day. But these two ideas, I, I, just again, to provide the balance, are very, very important, and they're very, they're very linked in a very deep, mysterious way. I didn't realize this. I just, you know, I thought I saw two pieces. I put them together. But so often you see how they're so connected in such a deep way. To review in some two minutes. The Debrei Cheskel tells us that there's tremendous chizuk to be gotten in going ahead and remembering that Avera Goreras Avera. And therefore, if all of the Averas that a person subsequently does later on in life with Machshava, on some level, even though we spoke about the Rachshtos, but on some level, it's with consciousness and it's, and it's, it's uh, on purpose on a certain level, we're rooted all the way back in the very first time that that was done completely without consciousness, in innocence, and so on and so forth that that was completely uh, not able to be charged to the person's own guilt, but it was just, it, it just happened. So Mamela, there's a tremendous, tremendous limutzchus on all of us, that we can go back to that place and allow ourselves to draw strength from that, to lessen not only the punishment, punishment, but the rectification from Hashem's perspective on us, but even within our own lives, to lessen the guilt and to lessen the shame and, 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 and find the hope to be able to stand up and to move forward. That's one thing. And the Me'ashilach says, it's true. We can look back in time, either in the way of the Derei Cheskel, or to look back to the beginning of time where people were marrying their sisters and it was totally cool. It was totally fine. Because on that level, Olam Chesed Yibane, Hashem created the world in kindness, Chesed Hu. And it was unconditional, and nothing you could do could get in the way of that. The Me'ashilach says, don't go all the way back to that place and bring it into your future so that prospectively looking from this moment onward, you're going to act however you please because that's going to produce a big kilkel. We need that for chizuk. We need that for chizuk to know that no matter what we've done and no matter what place we fall into, it's true. Hashem is with us. He's holding our hand. He's supporting us. He's encouraging us in the context of the, of the story of the lost princess. It's part and parcel of the journey. Now you have another opportunity to bring Kabbalah to Hashem. We spoke about it in the Sikhs around here on Tuesday. I'll be sending out a little bit later. It's true. But at the same time, don't make the mistake of thinking that you're going to cheapen the relationship between yourself and Hashem, which is essentially unconditional by introducing conditions on the contrary. The more conditions we live by, and the more that we allow the relationship between us and Hashem to be framed within the Torah's framework of 365 mitzvahs lo sase, 248 mitzvahs sase, millions of halachas. Okay, we're trying our best. We should learn lilmada amalas lasa is to put into action. The more conditions we create, the more unconditionally Hashem is loving us. Paradox of a thing. The more HaKadosh Baruch Hu's unconditional love is able to be made so real in our lives. And that, my friends, is the healthy balance between a floor and a ceiling. And to fluctuate all the time between the two. Drawing from either of those two extremes when we need them. And not to allow our being drawn to either of those extremes at the improper time to make a big, big blemish and ruin far more than it builds. We should be zochah to, uh, to the balance. We should be zochah to the das. Ultimately, it's the das of the tzaddik. It's the das of Reb Shimon coming up to Lagba Omer. It's the das of a broad-minded way of looking at Judaism in such a way that encompasses all of our various ages and stages and modes and moods. And there's always something for us. When we need chizik, 
the chizik is there. When we need musr, the musr is there. And we can make the musr part of the chizik and the chizik part of the musr. And that's part of the shiluv. That's part of the beautiful tikkun of ultimately Yisrael HaShemecha Espa'er. That is the Tiferes. The Ramak, without getting into the whole thing now, one minute, the Ramak in the beginning of Paradis Remind Him speaks about how sometimes the Midah of Netzach, which is ultimately on the right side, draws from Gvura also. Even though usually you would think that Netzach draws from Chesed, which is on top of it, sometimes Netzach also draws from Gvura. The Tiferes allows Netzach, which is the week of sphere that we're in now, to draw also from Gvura from the other side because there's a big balance. And that's why the color of Netzach, if you've noticed, the color of Netzach is pink and the color of Hod is, is red. I'm sorry, the color of, of, of Netzach is, is red that's leaning to white and the color of, uh, and the, and the color of, of, of Hod is, is, a, is a white that's leaning to red. Because the white, of course, is chesed. The red, of course, is gevura. And so therefore, netzach is drawing from gevura. So it's going to be, it, we're saying that it's chesed, but it's also a little bit sometimes leaning toward red. And then on the other hand, hod, that's essentially red, because it's on the left side, is going to also be white, because it's drawing sometimes from chesed. So we have to bring these two things together. And Be'ez uh, HaShem, we should live in a very balanced and a very healthy way, so that we know which teachings to draw on whenever we need to draw on something that's going to give us strength and to give us chizik to keep on moving. Thank you so, so much for listening. And uh, if there's any questions, yeah, Ami, go for it. It's a comment, just thinking about the forest and the fields, how it connects to, you know, kind of the, maybe connects to the forest and the fields, some of the, like the different bounds. You have to have the, the fields and the rest of the show. Absolutely. Absolutely, right? Ami's referring to the stage in the story of the lost princess where the viceroy, the second in command that's looking for the princess goes through deserts, fields, and forests. And the deserts we explain in the book is a place where a person feels nothing in Abu Hashem and Ami's saying we need a lot of chizik in that place. Then a person can get to the forest where he's succeeding but then we could stop there. So we need a lot of musr to tell us that we need to keep on going. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yiddishkeit encompasses it all and has something to give us in all of those places to make sure that wherever we are, we're serving Hashem in the way that He wants to be served, not the way that makes us feel good. It happens to also make us feel good, but that's the ikr is what He wants. That's the ikr. Alrighty. Chaver, thank you so, so much. Thanks for listening in to all of you. I really appreciate it. And Be'ezer uh, Hashem, we'll see you next week. Be'ezer Hashem for, uh, for, for the preparation of next week's parsha. Alrighty, Chavra, thank you, thank you. Wishing you the most beautiful, wonderful Shabbos. Print out Shabbos Malkasa, something new, something beautiful and precious. And I wish you the most elevated, illuminated, beautiful, beautiful Shabbos in the world. Thank you so much for joining. Kaltov, thank you, Chavra. Thank you so much.